The saddest thing in all the world is the waste of a human life. Why? Because humans were created in the image of God with dignity and a capacity to do great things for God's glory and honor. We were all created for sweet communion with God and his people. Pity the one who rejects the path of God and chooses the way of sin and rebellion and wickedness. His life is a string of sorrow, pain, and suffering. Because of his sin, he cannot enjoy the beautiful fellowship of righteous people. Instead, he is left wretched and fearful, knowing that terrifying judgment awaits him. But it doesn't have to be this way. The wicked may come to God at any time and repent and be set free from the horrifying path they are on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. We are coming to the end of Psalm 1. We began that about four weeks ago. And we've got one more week, and uh, today we're looking at verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 1. So if you have your Bible, please take it and turn there. I'm actually going to read the psalm again. I'm going to read, it's only six verses, and I'm reading from the ESV. And it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. In verse five, 4 and 5 are what, are we going to look, what we're going to look at today. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so we said that this psalm really sets the tone for the whole book of the psalm. There's 150 psalms, and one of the paths is the path of righteousness, and the other path is a path of wickedness, which we're going to examine today. Now, some people still don't get it. They, they don't see what the Bible is really all about. They see the Bible, they see Scripture, they see Christianity as really a moralistic religion. They think the Bible is a book that's mostly about good morals and good values. It reminds me of a book called Anne of Green Gables. Many of you have read it, and many of you have seen the, the video, the movie of it. I must confess I have not read the book, but I did see the movie with my children when I was, or when they were younger. Anne is an orphan, and she's been in orphanages all her life. She has experienced rejection by many, many people, and has really, truly suffered. Then finally, one day, she ends up in the home of Marilla and Matthew Cuthbert. And it really is quite by accident. They were looking for a little boy, but the, 
the lines were crossed, and somehow it was Anne that ended up in their home. Well, the nosy neighbor, Rachel Lind, she shows up at the door and gives Marilla some advice, among other things. First, she insults little Anne, but eventually uh, she comes to the place where she doles out this advice. Marilla, what this girl needs is some religion. So, Marilla gives Anne some notes on the Lord's Prayer, tells her to memorize the prayer, and then they get Anne to a church picnic so she can meet the minister and meet some other Christian people, and they are hoping that somehow the church and the church people might rub off on Anne, and in that she would become more presentable and more acceptable. Now, this is classic moralism. Moralism is a, uh, a philosophy of the 19th century that really concerns itself with instilling uh, a society with a, a certain set of morals. It's really about do's and don'ts and, and propriety and making sure that you present yourself in the right way, that you look good, that you act well, you speak well, and for so many people, that is the extent of their Christianity. They go to church on Sunday. They dress up for church on Sunday. They do all the right things. They say all the right things. But the problem is, is that the heart has not been transformed. And this is why you'll often hear people angry at church people who do not in any way demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. They don't reveal Jesus Christ in their attitudes, in the way they speak and act and function and carry themselves. No, we are not called simply to be moral people. We are called to be a people who live by faith, who believe God, and who do what God says. So, there are still people who think that if they behave in a certain way, that this will somehow get them into heaven. So if you're one of those people who are with us today and you believe that if you behave in a certain way, you do certain things, that this is going to get you into heaven or that this will somehow uh, get you favor with God, then you really don't know the Scripture at all. You, you really are ignorant of the whole message of the Scripture. Well, I'm going to talk about what the Bible is all about in just a moment. But understand this, the Bible is more than a book of morals. Yes, it does teach us how to live, it teaches us what to do, what not to do, but there's more to it than that. At the core of the scripture is, is the message of salvation, or redemption if you want to use that term. It's about how we as humans are restored into relationship with Almighty God, or reconciled to God, as Paul puts it. In fact, Paul says that this really is his ministry. It's a ministry of reconciliation, whereby he helps and teaches the gospel that shows people the way to reconciliation with God. But here's what you and I need to understand about ourselves. Because some people will read Psalm 1, and especially those first three verses, they'll, they'll say, well, I don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. I don't stand with sinners. I don't sit in the seat of mockers. I delight in the law of God, and therefore I've got it all together. Here's what you and I need to understand. And the Apostle Paul quotes the verse I want to share with you. He quotes it in uh, Romans 3.10. 
And here's what he's quoting. He's quoting Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 6. He says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Did you get that? All of us, all of us are are unrighteous. There, are, there is none that do right. All of our righteous deeds are nothing but filthy rags. Now, this might leave you feeling kind of hopeless, thinking, well, if that's the case, if that's the pronouncement, God de- has determined that I'm, I'm a wicked person, let's give up. What's, what's the point? Well, here's what you need to understand. If you've come to the place where you understand this about yourself, and again, it's, it, it's always so shocking to me the number of people that don't understand this about themselves. When you come to that place where you recognize that all of your, all of your, your righteous deeds are nothing but filthy rags, when you come to that place, then you recognize your need for a Savior. And his name, of course, is Jesus Christ. So, all my righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. What does it mean to be unrighteous? And what is the path of the unrighteous? So that's what we're going to take a look at right now. We're looking at at, uh, Psalm 1, verse 4. And the psalmist says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. We're going to unpack this. Let's take a look at that first phrase, the wicked are not so. Well, of course, to understand that, that, uh, that phrase, you've got to go back to the first three verses, and you've got to see all the ways that the wicked are not like the righteous. So the first thing we recognize is that the, the wicked are not blessed. Remember we talked about ashray, that word ashray, which means blessed or happy, uh, could even mean praiseworthy. We understand that, that the word happy doesn't, doesn't adequately describe or explain this glorious state that the psalmist is talking about. And for so many versions of the scripture, it translates it as blessed, which is excellent. But to help us understand even more or, or, or better what the psalmist is saying, we've, we've decided that we're going to use the word joyful. In fact, the New Living Translation, it begins Psalm 1 with, oh, the joys of the one who lives this way. So we're talking about joy as a result of living a certain way. So the first thing we recognize is that the wicked are not joyful. They don't have, they may feel that they're happy. They may be able to laugh. uh, They may appear to be blessed. But when it talks about the spiritual condition of their heart, we have to say first and foremost that the that the wicked man is not joyful. And we all know that. Any of us uh, can remember those days before we became Christians. The reason we became a Christian is precisely because we lacked joy in our life. We, we were not sure of our eternal condition. So the wicked person may look blessed on the outside, but his heart is empty. He cannot find happiness. And this is what Augustine meant when he said this. He said, because God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. Let me read that to you again. Because God has made us for himself, 
our hearts are restless, unhappy, seeking, searching, looking, until our heart finds rest in God. So the wicked continue in this restless state of unhappiness, looking for blessing, looking for joy, looking to be even praised, but they don't find it because they are not living by faith. And I'll talk about that more in just a few minutes. The second thing we recognize is that the wicked walks in the counsel of the, of the wicked. The blessed man doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, but the wicked man does. The wicked person is not spirit-led, no interest in being led by God, no interest in knowing what the will of God is. Understand that for a Christian, the thing that we want most is we want to do the will of God every time. That's what holy living is. But the wicked man says, I'm going to walk in the counsel of the wicked. I'm going to do what everybody else is doing. The wicked man will follow his sinful instincts. So rather than, than forgive, he'll get even. Rather than say, I'm sorry, uh, he'll, he'll hold a grudge. This, this wicked person is not going to follow the counsel of the godly. He's not going to follow the counsel of God. He refuses to read the scriptures. But he is an expert in the philosophies of this world. He's an expert in the philosophies of men, but utterly ignorant of the counsel of God. He's not, not interested in hearing what the Word of God says. He, he, he mocks the Bible. He's a scoffer. He laughs at the Scriptures. That's, that's, uh, that's for uneducated people. It's for ignorant people. No, he's not interested in the counsel of God or the counsel of the pastor the counsel of godly people. Furthermore, he's, he, he, uh, he stands in the way of sinners. He's most comfortable and in and prefers the company of, of other sinners. When he's around church people or Christian people, he feels uncomfortable, and he feels that, that, that Christian people are a drag. He'd rather be with people who are, are naughty, uh, maybe who, t who enjoy a, a, a coarse joke. You see, his heart is calloused. He feels no shame. He has lived for so long in that state of, of fellowship with, with sinners and living in sin that now his heart is calloused and really lacks a sense of guilt. He willingly participates in sinful conversations and activities, be the first one to tell a dirty joke and get a, good, get a good laugh out of it. I wonder how many of us as Christians are, are letting our, our Lord down by our willingness to stand in the way of sinners. One of the things we pray for every Tuesday is that God will send a revival to the church in North America how far we have drifted away from God's standard, from this holy standard. And then the other thing that the wicked man does is he sits in the seat of scoffers, he mocks sincere Christians, he mocks their beliefs, he mocks the scripture, as I've already said. This is who he is, this is what he does. In fact, he believes he's quite clever 
And every time any Christian, any pastor, any Christian philosopher wants to talk about, about life, about the world from God's perspective, that man, that wicked man, will scoff and mock. But it doesn't stop there. And then if you look to verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The wicked man does not do that. He has no interest in the word of God. And the Apostle Paul, in, in shaping the life of young Timothy, his protege and young pastor, he gives some excellent advice. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy 3, and I'm going to read verses 13 to 17. Paul says, But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You see the difference between the unrighteous man and the righteous man? The, Paul is, is talking to Timothy as a man who is righteous. You, you, you know the things that you've been taught are true because you can trot the, uh, trust those who taught you. What's he doing? He's saying... Walk in the counsel of the godly, Timothy. And furthermore, Paul says, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So you see what the Apostle Paul is doing? He's pointing Timothy to the Holy Scriptures. Now, can I remind you that at the time that the Apostle Paul is saying this to Timothy, there, there was no New Testament, there may have been uh, an odd uh, epistle written, but we, the New Testament has not yet been, been uh, printed and bound and, and handed out to everybody. The, the Holy Scriptures that the Apostle Paul is referencing here is, is basically the Old Testament. For those of you who think that the Old Testament is, is not for this dispensation, it's not for us today, I'm going to tell you, you're sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. No, Paul says, the Holy Scriptures were taught to you from childhood, from your childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. That through the Old Testament. And Paul goes on to say, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. If you want to know where you're at, people, in terms of your spiritual life, pick up the Bible and begin to read it. It will tell you what you're doing right, and it'll tell you what you're doing wrong. It corrects us, Paul says, when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Well, that is what the wicked do not do. I wonder how many of us as Christians... If we look at the things that the wicked do not do, how many of us would say, well, actually, I'm living more like a wicked person than I am as a Christian? And then, it, and then Paul goes on, or uh, the, uh, the author of Psalm 1 goes on to, to say that, that the righteous person is like a tree planted by streams or by rivers of water but the wicked are not so. It's, it's as though they're planted far from water. Their lives are stunted. Their, their lives are not flourishing. They're struggling along. 
By the way, if that's where you're at in your life right now, this is a wake-up call to you. If you're struggling along in your faith and you're not flourishing, this is the point of Psalm 1. It's to point out to us those areas in our lives that need to change. Really, Psalm 1 is like a mirror that's being held up to us so we can look at our lives and see where we stand. The wicked, well, they're like a tree planted far from the water. The wicked, they don't yield fruit. Not, that's really what we were talking about last week when we said that, that Jesus in, in John chapter 16 said that we, we cannot bear fruit. We can yield no fruit unless we are abiding in the vine. If you're not abiding in the vine, if you're living as one who is wicked, then you'll bear no fruit. Again, this is a wake-up call for us. If you are not bearing the fruit of righteousness, if you, if you are not sharing your faith with other people, if people don't know that you're a believer, if you are not sharing from the, from the, the goodness of God, then indeed you're, you're bearing no fruit. And Paul, or uh, the psalmist, describes that as, as the life of the wicked one. His leaf withers, he is not full of life, He's just surviving or existing. There's no joy in his life. He may prosper, but he certainly is not joyful. Now let the Spirit of God speak to you. Because, again, it's this, this beautiful psalm acts as a mirror, showing us what is wrong and what is right in our life. I memorized this, this psalm. This is one of the first psalms I memorized. I memorized it when I was a young boy. And I can tell you, the words of this psalm echo in my heart, echo in my mind. And they have for my, almost my entire life, certainly for my entire Christian life. Paul, or again, I want to keep saying Paul, but it's, it's, it's the psalmist here. We don't know for sure that it's David, but... The many uh, rabbis believe it was David because they believe that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 belong together, and they believe that David is the author of that. So here's the next thing we recognize. When it comes to the wicked, they're not like the righteous in any way, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, what is chaff? A lot of, uh, this is, for those of us who grew up in the city, we really maybe don't have a clue what that is. Chaff is a dry husk that forms around the, the grain, the kernel of grain. And once it's removed, it is often referred to as chaff. The process of loosening the chaff from the grain so as to remove it is called threshing or winnowing. And so what would happen, well, let me just show you a picture of, of grain, a kernel of grain and the chaff. So you can see that. Uh, I think fairly clearly, all, the, all, of the, all of this that surrounds that kernel of grain, which I've circled uh, with a, a red circle, it, that, all of that is chaff. It's all useless. There's no, there's no point in it. Um, my uh, Hebrew interlinear Bible translates chaff as the, tra the trash, and that's what it is. It's just trash. So, Essentially, what the psalmist is saying 
is that the wicked are, are like the trash. They're, they're garbage. They, they're worthless. They have no, no value. They don't add value to anybody's life. They don't add value to their community. They don't add value to the global community. You know, I, I often hear uh, people that they get on their soapbox and they, they, they want to tell everybody else what to do and how to live their lives, but in fact, they're living a double life. They're living a, a lie because the things that they want everybody else to do, they're not willing to do themselves. I've seen this often over the years in the, in the world of the church. There's always, uh, for the most part, most people are really, truly wonderful, wonderful followers of Christ. But I often find that people who are troublemakers in the church are really like the chaff. They, they don't add any value. They complain. They whine. They grumble. They demand their rights. They, they push their agenda. But they won't lift a finger to help. They won't give a nickel to help. They do nothing to add value to the people of God or to the kingdom of God. What, what the psalmist is saying here is that the wicked are like chaff that the wind blows, blows it away. In fact, that's really how they do their winnowing or do the threshing in those days. They would throw a handful of wheat, just throw it up in the air, and the grain would fall to the ground because it's heavy, it's value, it has substance, it has worth, but the chaff is worthless, and it just, it, they're literally using the wind to separate the, the grain from the chaff. It's, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Well, what are you? Are you... Are you grain or are you chaff remember the wind blows the chaff away because the chaff only live for themselves do you know this past week i had the honor of doing the funeral service for reverend robert o'neill this is the father of barry o'neill you all know barry well he was almost 100 years old it's just coming up to his 98th birthday and we only had a few minutes at the graveside to celebrate his life. But as I said to the family, it should be hours of talking about the ways that he made people's lives better. He's one of the first that I knew uh, amongst uh, our churches and pastors that went into multiple reserves preaching the gospel, a friend of, of so many reserves, loving and caring for people, counseling them, doing their wedding ceremonies, doing funerals, preaching, uh, f- gathering together uh, groceries and clothing and uh, all sorts of things to bring relief to his brothers and sisters on the reserves. This is a man who had great worth, great value, both he and his wife, who died just a few years earlier. I contrast that with the funeral that I did when I first came to this church over 25 years ago. I got a phone call from somebody that I'd never met, but I was told that this individual used to attend our church, and that was way before the days that I was here. That would be in the early days of the church. And I said, well, let's have a meeting together, and we'll discuss the funeral, and we'll discuss what will be said. We'll do a eulogy. And by the way, this too was a graveside service because there just was nobody to come. Unlike Robert O'Neill's service, 
And I'm going to tell you, when you're 98 years old, there's not many people to show up for your service because basically all your friends are, have already died. But with Robert O'Neill, because he kept active, serving God late into, into his 80s, uh, there's all kinds of people that would have been there at that service. For this woman, she, I, I, I sat with the family. I said, well, can you tell me a little bit about her life? What, like, what are some of the things that she did? What, what did she care about? Did she, you know, did she serve on a board? Did she serve in a community uh, committee? What did, she, did she do anything in church? It turns out she did nothing in church. She did nothing in the community. She didn't serve anywhere, didn't serve anyone. All she, all she did, and this is her passion, is she loved bingo. Imagine living your life, and at the end of your life, all that can be said about you is, she enjoyed bingo. Really? Well, folks, that to me describes what the wicked are. You say, Pastor Allen, don't you think you're being a little harsh? No, I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. The wicked are like chaff. They're, 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 they're really and truly worthless. Trash. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not the judge. I can't stand in judgment over anybody. But I do know this. I know that I am responsible for what I do and how I live my life, and you are responsible for how you live your life. And will your life count? Will anybody mourn when you die? I think of so many people in our church that, that serve God so faithfully and give so faithfully and make a difference in so many people's lives here in our community and as far away as Africa. And I think to myself, if this church was ever closed down, it would be a dreadful day for the kingdom of God because so many of the people of this church live by faith. They believe God and do what God says, but not so the wicked. The wicked don't believe God, and they refuse to do what God says. So then we must look then at, at the future of the wicked. And here's what the psalmist says. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You know, some people think that they're going to just slide in at the last minute that, you know, on my deathbed, I'll quickly say a prayer and and I'll, I'll do the transaction, I'll, I'll ask God to forgive my sins, and that'll be it. Now, I'm sure that there are some that have come to Christ on their deathbed, but I'm going to tell you something. And we read this in the Scripture, both in the Old and the New, that now is the day of salvation. When God presents truth to you, when God opens your eyes to help you see the truth, that's the moment that you surrender to God and you do what God says. But the wicked, they're not going to be able to stand in the judgment. Judgment day is the day when we all will stand before God. The wicked will not be able to stand or endure the judgment. Sinners cannot be included with the righteous. They cannot stand with God. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, no one likes to talk about judgment. Nobody wants to talk about hell, and especially the unrighteous. It really makes them angry. How dare you? Who are you to tell me? Well, the fact is, is that nobody but God and his word can declare who is righteous and who is unrighteous. 
But just because of that, that doesn't mean that we don't talk about hell. R.C. Sproul, a great, great theologian, he's passed away now, not that long ago. He was asked which doctrine he struggles with the most, and he said hell. You know, I had a, a cousin visiting with me a few years ago. He goes to a Protestant church, and he says to me, I can't stand it when pastors preach about hell. I can't stand it when they talk about judgment. I hope you don't preach about hell. And my response was, no one spoke more about judgment in hell than Jesus did. Do you understand that? Did you know that? Jesus speaks about hell far more than he speaks about heaven or about eternal life, for that matter. Here's what Paul says as a warning to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, do we have it there? No, we don't have it. No? Okay, so you'll just have to listen to me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil that we have done in this earthly body. So I'm going to tell you that judgment, the, the idea of hell, is absolutely a New Testament idea. It's something that is taught. So then the question is, who's going to save us from this judgment? How can I, how can I escape judgment? Well, folks, that is precisely why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, to be our Savior. And here's what Jesus says in John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, listen to this, John 5, 24. Maybe that's a verse you need to circle or underline. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me will have eternal life. He who does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. It's not God's will that anyone should perish. And we, we all learn that verse in Sunday school. You heard it recited in the video that opened up the message this morning, John 3.16. For God so what? So loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's not God's will that any would face the judgment of hell. It's God's will that every one of us would know the joy, the happiness of a life that's surrendered to God. So that it's not just in eternity that we know joy, but right here and right now. But it means that we're going to have to live the righteous life. Pastor Allen, again, just remind me, what is the righteous life? Well, let me sum it up like this. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that it is impossible to please God without faith. The righteous life is a life of faith. And nothing has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament in that regard. In the Old Testament, we are taught to believe God and do what he says. And what does that mean? Well, it means that you are living by the word, you're obeying the word, you're doing what the word tells you to do, and that you are believing that your sins are washed away through the sacrificial system. That's Old Testament in a nutshell. We believe God, we do what he says. 
God says, you want to fellowship with me? You must do what my word says, and you must believe that your sins have been removed through the sacrificial system that was set up under Moses. And then we move to the New Testament. And what do we discover? Believe God and do what he says. We live by the word of God, firstly, and secondly, we believe that our sins are washed away through the sacrifice made by Jesus Christ. This is what produces in us the righteousness of God. Why? Because in believing in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are literally putting on Christ's righteousness. Christ alone was perfect. And it was for that reason that Christ alone was able to die for your sin and for mine. I couldn't die for my sin and get life because I'm a sinner. But Jesus was perfect. And in so doing, he broke the back of death. What a glorious thing it was to say at the graveside of Robert O'Neill, those last words from 1 Corinthians 15, O death, where is your victory? O grave, or death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? But thanks be to God, it's through Jesus Christ that we have life. And by the way, it's not just eternal life. It's life right here and right now. Our righteousness comes from Jesus Christ by believing him and doing what he says. And really, folks, when you're looking at Psalm 1, this, this, these two paths, the paths of the righteous man, the, the, the path of the wicked man, the wicked man refuses to believe God and do, and, and do what God says. The righteous man believes God and does what God says. I wonder this morning what your life is all about. Do you believe God? You say, Pastor, I, I don't know. I think I do. Well, folks, listen. If you're, you've got to do what the righteous man does in Psalm 1. It says there in verse 2, but, but this man delights in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. The way that you know God's will, the way you know what God wants, is that you know his word. The word of God is his revelation to us. It opens our heart, it opens our mind so that we know what pleases God and what displeases God. It's that simple. So are you a righteous man or a wicked man? A righteous woman or a wicked woman? Ultimately, you and I need to be a, a people that know the word of God, that commit it to heart. I read somewhere that that centuries ago, and maybe it's still to this day, I don't know, but, but many of little Jewish boys, by the time they were age 10, they, they knew the first five books of the Bible off by heart. They had committed it to memory. Remember, <laughs> there, there were no published Bibles at that time. There, if you wanted to see what was in the scrolls, you had to go to, you had to, go to, the, to the temple and hear the, the word of God read. But what they, what they did is they taught their children to know the word of God off by heart so they could live a life of righteousness. So once you know the word of God, then you believe him and you do what he says. And God tells us that his son, Jesus Christ, is the one that we need to put our faith in. And so we put our faith in him and in his righteousness, and it's ours. But not so the wicked.
not so the wicked. There's no shortcut into heaven. There's no shortcut into the Christian life or into the church. You have to put your faith in Christ. You have to believe God, and you have to do what he says. And you know, if we don't accept the reality of the gospel, if we don't accept the reality of hell, then we're not going to rightly understand that gospel message, that gospel, that good news that Jesus Christ saves us from eternal death, that Jesus Christ saves us from the second death, that Jesus Christ saves us for an eternity where we will enjoy the blessed presence of Almighty God. The wicked will not stand in the judgment. The, the sinner will not be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous, but all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray now in Jesus' name that you give us the grace, give us the wisdom, O oh God, to yield to you, to allow you, Father, to have your way in our lives. And we thank you today for Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you that Jesus Christ is your revelation. Through Christ, oh God, we know your will. We know your purpose. Through Jesus Christ, we know the way of righteousness. Through Jesus Christ, we know the way to eternal life. We ask right now, oh God, in Jesus' name, give us the grace to walk with Jesus. Give us the grace to forsake the way of the wicked. And we pray that for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.